0: continuing our study through how to study the Bible. We began last week a 13-week series on how to study the Bible. and uh, We began with how we got our Bible. We looked at a, we just basically did a brief overview of how it came from the, the mind of God to the mind of man and, and onto the pages of Scripture. And this week we'll get into a little bit more detail as to how that, that actually happened. Jesus said in John chapter 17 verse 17 as he's praying to his father that your word is truth. The scripture is the way that the Bible uh or or that God reveals himself. The way that he shows who he is. The scriptures themselves claim to be true. We looked at all these different ways in which we know that the Bible is true. Because um Another reason is that the Bible isn't like any book ever written. We said that it is a collection of 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages with one singular message. With one diverse word, but a singular message, a singular theme, a unifying message. We'll talk about that unifying theme what exactly that is in the weeks ahead but um but we uh, but we'll uh we want, we want to continue on our study of how we got our Bible. We saw also last week that uh there is fulfilled prophecy that in the Old Testament there were prophets who spoke about what would happen in the future, and many of those things actually came to pass. Some of those things are still uh future for us even the end times and so on that that we still know about. But, but the Bible is, uh, we don't need evidence to convince us. It is the Spirit who convinces us. We don't need to pile up all these evidences. Okay, if we have this, 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 and this, then I will accept it. Okay, but if I don't have this one here, then I can't accept it. You see, the Bible can be believed because the Spirit gives the grace to believe. He's the one who does the power of what we call illumination okay illumine like light it he illumines the mind he helps us to see that it is true and to accept it because by by nature we reject the scriptures i hope you understand that by nature we we do not want to hear from god we we do not want to accept his word as truth we want to accept our own word as truth we want to follow our own desires And so we need a a transforming work of the Spirit, which happens at regeneration and continually happens through the process of sanctification. That is the the process of growing in godliness. The Spirit is constantly helping us to to accept the Scriptures as truth. And that is a work that we constantly need. We'll talk about that more in the morning service. Um, So let me just try to summarize last week's class by saying this. God exists. Romans 1 tells us that everyone knows He exists. God is a speaking God. God spoke. God caused people to take His spoken Word and put it into written Word. God does not lie. He is not a liar. Jesus said that. We already uh, looked at that John 17. God's Word is truth. So, God's Word is truth and because god speaks through his word and it's true and it's it, and it's something that we ought to believe then he demands that that we accept it because the 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 opposite of that is that that we reject god's word and if we reject god's word then we've rejected god we've rejected the true and living god so the question for us that we should have Uh, Gotten from last week is, do we accept God's Word? Do we accept God's Word as truth? And we concluded our time last week by looking at at how the Old Testament and New Testament texts were, were brought into being, and that is the subject that I want to continue this week. Now, when I sit down and study in my office or at the seminary library, at the seminary there are thousands of books, thousands of books. But not one of those books is a manuscript. A manuscript is a handwritten document. It's one that's written out by hand, not typed on a computer. It's written out by hand by the original author. And with the proliferation of books in our society, it's hard to comprehend that only 550 years ago, every document on the face of the earth, whether it was biblical or not, was produced by hand. It was produced by hand. There was no copying. There was no printing press 550 years ago. Every single document was written by hand. It's no wonder that we have so many handwritten copies of the Scriptures. Uh, We have so many copies uh, still in existence. In fact, if you want to see some originals, uh, you can go to the U of M. In fact, uh, on your, your inside page, you have a picture of a manuscript. Uh, not a manuscript, but a uh, uh yeah a manuscript a copy I was going to say not an autograph an autograph is the original, but the manuscript is a copy written by hand. This copy right here this is papyrus forty six this is at the University of Michigan. This is one of the oldest known manuscripts of second Corinthians um, it dates back to the I believe the second or third century uh, in addition to this, the University of Michigan has several other copies of the Scripture, very uh, old manuscript copies. And so if you want to take a, a look at that, um, you could find that online and, and uh, be able to see that. When we're talking about manuscripts in the Bible, we're referring to only documents that were copied in the original languages. Okay, last week we said that the Bible was, was written in three different languages. What were they? Hebrew. Greek and Aramaic, exactly. So, so, when we talk about manuscripts of the Bible, we're saying copies that were done in those languages. Now, there's a whole science to studying the age of manuscripts, and I don't want to get too technical, but I do want you to have a basic understanding of where your Bible came from. Alright, so let's begin by looking at how to determine the age of a manuscript. How can you determine... Okay, we look at this this one on the inside of our our um, sheet here. How do we determine how old this manuscript is? Well, the first thing that, that that these scientists look at is the material. What was it written on? Okay, and as you know, they didn't have their uh, you know 20 bond paper or whatever it is. You had you had parchment and you had papyrus. In fact, most people used papyrus uh, before they used parchment. Parchment we'll we'll talk about here in a second, but um, a lot of times, even before people would write on, the, on these pieces of papyrus, they would actually use broken pieces of pottery. They would just use whatever they could find to write on. But if they had something of permanent importance, something that they wanted to be preserved, then they would take the extra time and effort and potentially um, resources in order to write on papyrus. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And you'll see the importance, really, of, of writing things down. And it's a good thing these men, uh, directed by God, did write them down. Otherwise, we wouldn't really know what God said. We'd have to guess. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18. now it shall come about when he sits on the throne, that is the new king, the new ruler, and he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on the scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law. And he goes on. But the point here is that he writes it down on something they call a scroll, we'll talk about those in a second. Okay, write down whatever's in the book of the law so that they could they could read it every day of their lives. Something that would be maintained long term. Turn over to Revelation, okay, the last book in your Bible, Revelation chapter twenty. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. You'll notice that it's not just humans who write things down. God did the same thing for us. Uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. John records here And I saw the dead, the great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God pays careful attention to writing things down, doesn't he? So let's talk about the two different types of materials that these Scriptures were written on. First of all, papyrus. Papyrus is the word from which we get our word, paper. It's made from the, the soft center of reeds that would grow along the Nile River. And they were laid out side by side. Okay, You can could, you could kind of imagine like a checkerboard type thing. They would lay them out vertically and then they would lay out another roll horizontally. They'd all be wet. And then they'd have to let them dry and be smooth. And then they'd trim them down to about one foot high. And then they would take these pieces that were about one foot high and they would glue them together and make a scroll 70 feet long. And they would roll it up in the scroll. That way they could just open it up to whatever part that they wanted. In fact, um, if you look at the... Uh, several of the books in the Old Testament, First and Second Samuel, fit on one scroll. The two of them fit on one scroll. Same thing for First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. They all fit on one scroll. Um, so they could use papyrus. Parchment was the other type of material. It was simply leather that would come from the skin of cattle or sheep or goats. It also could be formed into uh, to a scroll by sewing the pieces together. Uh, but because parchment was much more expensive, it was reserved for documents of greater importance, okay, of the greatest importance. And so some people who may not have had great financial means could have written down the Scriptures on papyrus. Others could have done it on parchment. So based on what type of material these things were written on determines, uh, is one of the determining factors to how you date a manuscript. Another way to to determine it is whether it was in a scroll form or a codex that is book form okay they, they began with the the scroll form that was the the way that that they did in the Old Testament and much of the New Testament around the second century after Christ had already ascended into heaven people began to bind these these strips of paper okay papyrus into a book and then you could turn it just like we turn pages um and they would call that a codex. So it could be the determining factor for understanding the date is also determined by the form. It's also determined by the completeness, whether it was just a fragment, okay, like this picture you have in your handout there, whether it was a fragment or a partial, that is, it has a large section of a whole book, or it could be a completed document, like the whole book of Matthew. We have several of these. in fact. Um, we have a couple early manuscripts of the entire New Testament that were dated around the 2nd the century uh, AD. The other way to determine what type of, or, or what the date was, is the writing style. They had uh, all sorts of different writing styles, but the ones that you need to be familiar with with regard to the Greek language, which is what the New Testament was written in, are these two that I listed there, and that is uncial and minuscule. Unchul is simply capital letters. What they would do is, is like you see on your, on the inside page of your handout. What they have is all capital letters, no spaces, no punctuation. Isn't that interesting? That's the way that they would write, and they would be able to determine um, what they were reading there when when they would go to read it. Until the uh, the tenth century words were all of uniform size. They were all in this uncial script. So they were all, we call it, capital letters. Okay? So once we get to the 10th century, about uh, 900 A.D., A.D. 900, they started to write in minuscule, which is more like a cursive form. And I didn't give you an example of that, but, um, but they, they began to write in this minuscule form. So if you look at this document that you have on the inside of your sheet, okay, you can tell, number one, that this was well, you can't tell from your picture, but from the, the if you go to, over to U of M, you can tell that it's written on papyrus, not a leather, you know, a parchment. Somebody's uh, some animal skin. You'll be able to tell that it's written on papyrus. You can also tell from looking at it that it's in the uncial script, so you know it's before the 10th century. And and and, uh, and then you can also tell that it's a it's a fragment or a partial. Uh, of the copy. So basically based on all these things that they put together, they determine what the date is. Now we don't have to dig up all these manuscripts and try to figure out these dates for ourselves. We have scholars that, that can do that for us. But the point is that we need to understand where our scriptures came to how did they come to their current form? How did we get them in our language? So let me continue by talking about manuscript differences. It's really quite surprising that that most Christians um don't know that that two there there are no two manuscripts that are alike. Okay, we think that okay, people had a copy of the scripture, we think copy like our copy that we have in front of us. I mean there's no differences between all the copies that we have in front of us. Because they were done on a copying machine. But if you think about it, um they they actually copied them all by hand we'll talk about that in just a second but but when we think about manuscripts there's two apparently large problems for us one is we don't have the original autograph the the original uh writing of Paul or matthew or mark we don't have the original of any of those people and the other problem potential problem is that that we know from uh, from Scripture and from history that God didn't supernaturally work through the copyists. okay, The scribes, the people who took the original, copied it, and then the next scribe who came and copied from that and so on. God didn't supernaturally work through them like He did with the original writers. Okay, The only thing that we know from Scripture is that God worked supernaturally through the original authors. That is, what we call inspiration. We talked about that last week. So how can we be sure that we have God's Word if we have these two large problems? Well, I hope to answer that by the end of the class, but in order to do that, we need to understand how these manuscripts were copied. So before you um, jump off the spiritual deep end and think, okay... We've got all these differences in these. Mult- you said there are thousands of manuscripts, and you're telling me there's differences in every single one. How can we be sure that we we don't have differences or we have the wrong words in our Bible? Well, here's here. Let me give you an example of one of the types of differences. First Corinthians chapter six verse eleven. The question is: Should it be Jesus? Should it be Christ? Should it be Jesus Christ? Should it be Jesus or Christ Jesus? Or should it be our Lord Jesus Christ? So these are the type of differences. When we're looking at them, yes, it, it, it may determine whether a word is is reversed or something like that, but it's not going to change the 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 overall meaning of the text. Whether it's Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus doesn't have a lot of bearing on our understanding of what God is trying to say. Correct? Okay, so these are a lot of the And we'll talk about percentages here when we get down a little bit further. Let me talk first about the causes of differences. There are two types of causes to why these manuscripts are different. Okay, Why these copies of the original are different. Why aren't they exactly the same? One is intentional changes, and the other is unintentional. Intentional changes happened when... These scribe tried these scribes, these copyists they tried to harmonize what they had seen in other parts of scripture with what they were writing. so they would say, "Well, that doesn't make sense how could how could um like in james how how could a person's faith be dead if they don't have works when Paul has already talked about the fact that we are only just we are not justified by our works so someone could intentionally try to change it to to make the Scriptures harmonize. Um, most errors, however, were unintentional. They were errors of sight or errors of hearing. They would have people... Uh, these would be professional men who would who would make copies, That we talked about that last week, where they would count all the words on a given page to make sure that they didn't miss any. Count all the letters to make sure that they didn't miss any. Um, in some cases, they would have a dictator uh, Uh, person who would read maybe that's not the word I'm looking for but they would read the copy for them and so the person could have misheard and so there's another unintentional type change or they could have just simply been looking at one copy and then writing it down and and, uh, may have transposed some words or letters so there are changes in that way now we do need to keep in mind that these scribes were professional this was their job um and uh, as I mentioned last week, they had a method by which they operated. So we, we don't uh, we don't want to think that it was pretty. It was just sloppy work. Okay? They were just oh let's hurry up and get this done. It was they 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 paid very careful uh, detail to what they were doing. However, they were human, and there there were nights when they were tired, just like you and I get tired. And sometimes they were copying under poor lighting, and they would make mistakes. They would make uh, mistakes. So, just so we're clear, their mistakes only reflect a small percentage of what you had before you. The original uh, overall message is preserved in the multitude of manuscripts. And the way that we determine what is the original, okay, we go back to, we look at all these copies. How can we determine what? What was originally said by Paul? What was originally said by Jesus? What was originally written by John? How can we tell? Well, we have these manuscript experts. Okay? They're called um, textual critics. Now, it's not that they're criticizing the text like you, you have for people who criticize movies or something like that. They're actually examining the text and reporting back what they see based on, on what they're looking at. So they look at the multitude of manuscripts. And they determine what is the the, the original message. Um, and based on these studies, scholars have been able to work their way back as close as possible to the original writings without having the original in front of them, which is pretty amazing. I wish we had time to go through this, but we don't. So let me just give you a few foundational rules that they use um, when they determine what is the correct reading. Number one when they have a, a large number of manuscripts, the older manuscript is more, more reliable. So if we have 10,000 manuscripts piled up all over this room from the 8th century and uh, and, then, uh, and then out in the hallway we put 10 manuscripts from the 2nd century, okay, based on that first rule, which manuscripts are most important? These 10,000 from the 8th century or those 10 manuscripts from the 2nd century? Okay, it's those 10 because they are older. We'd rather have the older uh, manuscripts because they go back closer to the original. You see how that can work? Okay, You have the original here. Someone makes a copy. Someone makes a copy. More changes, more changes. And over time, you get something that's not as close to the original as this was. Okay, It's like that game that you played when you were a kid where you have, what do they call it, the telephone game or whatever. Someone says something at the very beginning. I whisper it to her. She whispers it they wh- all the way to the back of the room. And what happens at the end? It's completely different. Okay? But if who would, who would be more reliable in knowing what I said? Okay? Would it be Barb back there in the back of the room or Jennifer here in the front? Because okay? she's closer to the original, right? There's not as many changes throughout. And that's the same uh, principle that they use to determine which is the better or more reliable reading. The other one, and this is a little bit uh, trickier to understand, is that the harder reading is usually correct. The harder reading is usually correct. Now, keep in mind that scribes were were trying to get this word out to the mass public. They're trying to get this out because... It wasn't like us where we could just go down to the Christian bookstore and pick up a Bible, right? In order for people to get a copy of even parts of the Scripture, someone had to write it down. In order for someone to write it down, you don't just pull it off your shelf to copy it for somebody else. They were owned by these professional scribes usually. And so you'd have to get copies from them. and, And so you didn't have ready access to them. So they were trying to get the Word out. And so often what they would do is pay careful attention to clarity They wanted to make sure people understood what what was being written. And so many times when they were copying uh, these manuscripts for themselves or for their church or whomever were looking for them, they wanted to be as clear as possible. And sometimes when they were looking at the copy that they had, they said, well, this grammar doesn't make sense. It it, it seems backwards. It seems like this word should be over here. So I'll correct that because this copy that I have, which is not the original, they probably messed it up, so I'll correct it. See, they're they're working towards clarity, and so because scribes would often make changes to their own copies in order to harmonize or to make it uh, more readable, more clear, uh, we say that the harder reading is usually correct. You see, because they're they're making these changes. So, if you have a, a really easy reading here and you have a really difficult reading here, then um, the harder reading is usually the better one. By the way, which manuscripts usually contain the harder readings? The older ones, the ones closer to the original over here, or the newer ones? Okay, the harder readings are usually on the older manuscripts. All right. So now let's talk about how they categorize these because what they do is they, they don't have time to read through every single manuscript, you usually have scholars in one area of focus, maybe one book or whatever. But what they do is they categorize these manuscripts into families. Um, they sort out tens of thousands of manuscripts into families so that they can uh, be analyzed more easily. And these these families are usually based on age. Okay, so a group of 3rd century manuscripts go together. A group of 4th century manuscripts can go together. It's also based on region. Um, region of origin. So, if someone wrote from Egypt or if they wrote from England or, or wherever, they put those manuscripts together. Um, and then based on relationship. Um, if several manuscripts have the similar wordings, they would say that they were part of, of one type of family. So, these two basic families that we have are called Alexandrian and Majority. Okay, so, the Alexandri- Alexandrian from Alexandria of Egypt, not Virginia, and Majority text. Okay, uh, there's a man by the name of Hort who wrote in his introduction to the New Testament... That he believed that the difference between these two families okay and by the way we're talking about Alexandrian a lot smaller but but older manuscripts majority a lot more manuscripts but old, but uh, but farther removed from the original okay these are closer to the original these are are farther removed and what Hort said in his introduction is that that the differences between these two okay because we're thinking oh all these copyists, they made all these errors or purposeful changes. How can we be sure that, you know, if our Bible comes from here or here, we have the right thing? And he said, of all the differences in those two families, it makes up about one sixtieth of the whole New Testament. sixtieth. Okay, so close to 1%. And he would say that most of these words are of trivial importance. Um, now, obviously, we shouldn't say that, that any part of the Scripture is trivial, and that's why people give their lives to try to determine what order they actually do go in. But it, it's like what we talked about at the beginning with 1 Corinthians, whether it should be Jesus, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And that's the types of differences he's talking about. Now, there are there are different ones, and uh, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about those that, that aren't as trivial, but we'll, um, we'll leave that for another day. So he says, um, of all the differences uh, of of the words of significance, okay. So something that actually makes a difference to what I believe, he said that there, the difference between these two families is one one-thousandth, one thousandth, one one thousandth of the New Testament. That is one tenth of one percent. Okay. So if you ha- if you laid out the entire New Testament you're talking about uh, less than one percent a fraction of a percentage. Um, now let me give you an example of one of these of significance. In terms of first of significance. First John, chapter three. 1 John chapter three. And we'll actually look at two of significance. Look at chapter 3 of verse 1. John writes, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Does anyone have a King James Version? Gail, can you read that verse for us? And pay attention closely to the wording. Alright, so which words are missing from the King James Version that we have in our New American Standard? Okay, it's it's in the middle of the verse that we should be called, her says sons of God, ours says children of God, same idea. And then these four words, and such we are. And such we are. Now, in July of nineteen err 19. In July of eighteen eighty five. Charles Haddon Spurgeon preached on these four words that were not even in the King James Version from which he was preaching and from which his people had in the pew. And such we are. Um, the King James, which follows the majority text over here, okay, the majority text uh, le- leads to what we call the received text or in Latin the textus receptus. Receptus, And from there comes the King James Version. And he says that... Um, he, he explained to them that the Revised Version, okay, which comes from the Alexandrian text, which is where our New American Standard comes from, and the NIV, ESV, um, comes from the older manuscripts. And uh, he explained to them that, that this was the wording in those original manuscripts. And this is what he said. That the addition of these four words is correct. I have not the slightest doubt. Okay? So keep in mind, he's preaching from a King James Version and all the people have King James Versions. And he's saying, I'm preaching on four words that are not in your Bible. Okay? Your English Bible that you have in front of you. But he's saying, of, of these four words, I have not the slightest doubt. Those authorities upon which we depend... Those manuscripts which are best worthy of notice have these words. Okay, So what is he talking about here? He's talking about these manuscripts that he depends on. These older manuscripts. And they are to be found in, he says, the Latin Vulgate, the Alexandrian text family, and several other versions. They ought never to have dropped out in the judgment of the most learned people and those best to be relied on these are the true words of inspiration. Spurgeon then went on to preach the entire sermon on these four words that were not even found in his Bible. Um, and we have today fundamentally two, the, these two different text families uh, from which our English translations were made. But the great thing for us is that if a person has a King James Version and someone's preaching from the New American Standard, or if you have a New American Standard and someone's preaching from the King James Version, you're not going to find a lot of differences, are you? You can follow along for the most part and see where the the, the preacher or the teacher is going. And that's because, as I said before, these errors, these differences make up less than 1% of what is there between the two versions. So we don't have to say, okay, the New American Standard is God's Word and the King James is not because there are places where the King James actually has a better translation than the New American Standard. Um, So we don't want to say anything like that. But what we do say is that the authority that we receive from God is preserved not in our English translation but in the multitude of manuscripts. So what you'll find sometimes, in fact, turn to 1 John chapter 5 in verse 7. Okay, I was going to say what you'll find sometimes is that some of your words are put in brackets. And all that means is that the the translators weren't confident that this was in the original. They weren't sure and they didn't want to take it completely out, so they put it in brackets. I don't have an example here. Actually, um, hold your finger here in First John. Let me show you, because we will come to this when we look at the end of Mark. Look at the very end of Mark. And I'll show you an example of where the New American Standard translators were not sure that this was part of the original. Mark 16, verse 9. And this is talking about after Jesus is raised and then he appears to people. So verses 9 through 20, you'll notice in your Bible that they are in brackets. And then what you should have is a note, either in the margin or down below, that says something like The external evidence strongly suggests that these words, these verses, were not originally part of Mark's gospel. All they're saying there is that these. 12 verses um, actually were a part of this this text family, and the older manuscripts show that those were not part of it. They were actually an addition to it. And so uh, we cannot. So basically, the translators here are saying we cannot say with confidence that that is part of God's word. Um, the point of all this is that the copy of the Bible that you hold in front of you can be relied upon even though we have these differences. The Scriptures have been preserved, as we say, in the multitude of manuscripts. And that's why we're always going back to them to make sure that what we say, I mean, you don't have to, but, but that's why you have scholars who, who are doing that. Let me try to illustrate uh, this point. Suppose a person had been in a coma from the time of birth. all right, And after 30 years, he woke up and began asking questions about different things. And you explain to him different things that every human exists and, and every human that ever has existed and that ever will exist is made in the image of God. And this person says, who has been out of it for 30 years, how can you say that? There is so much difference in each person. I mean, look at people. Line them all up. Look at all the differences in all these people. And, and, and you reply, well, God's image has been preserved in humans. Let me show you. And, you, and so you take this person who had been out of it for thirty years and you 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 show them a hundred different people all lined up in a row and you ask him to to tell you what he sees hey okay, what do you see about that's common among all these people and he would say, "Well, they have noses and two eyes and and two ears and and eyes, and they all speak with their mouth and so on and so my point is that Although that humans have all these differences uh whether it be nationality or or different features are are shaped differently their humanness is preserved in their in their person okay so so nobody's humanness is lost just because he says that that they're all different the humanness is not lost they're not dogs or birds right they have features of being a human. So they would be classified as a human. And my point is um, that I've taken time to show differences in these manuscripts and even in the translations that we regularly use. But the conclusion that you should, you should get from this is not that the Bible is not God's Word. Rather, you should see that despite the differences, that, that the Bible still has its divineness. You see? It is still God's Word in the multitude of differences it is still god's word the 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 fact that that we still have God speaking to us is here it doesn't get lost okay so don't fret about your translation or don't fret about the fact that that even in in the translation that we use at our church the New American standard that there are questions because in the the multitude of translations and manuscripts we have God's word; it has not give; it has not been lost. It was originated by God, and it was preserved providentially through God. And so, there will be time. Um, there will be times, like we saw with the Spurgeon example, where we have to we have to make a choice on whether or not uh, a certain passage is part of what God originally. Put in the scriptures or not, all right, and that's where we we have to rely strongly on scholars or people wiser than we are, right? So um, I don't have time to get to 1 John 5:7. We did talk about that when we studied through the book of 1 John. So if you're interested in that, uh, we have that sermon on the website. You could listen to that again. I give a whole history of how 1 John 5:7 came into Uh, our translation. And and, uh, you'll notice that in the King James Version there are words about the Trinity and so on. I would encourage you to listen to that if you're interested in that. Alright, that was the heavy, deep waters of our study. It will get easier from here. Now we're going to move on next week and the following weeks into how to actually study the Bible. How do we pull out from... The scriptures what God wants for us because in our last series of classes we talked about determining what God's will is, what he wants for us. And we said that the wrong thing to do is to take out one verse and uh, take one verse out of its context and use it whatever way we want to. And so we need to understand, how do we understand the scriptures in their context and, and how do we make choices about what it is God is saying to us? So we'll start that next week and uh, work through that. Any questions on 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 this? Uh, by the way, most of what um, I talked about today was from this book called From the Mind of God to the Mind of Man. Uh, the chapter from Dr. Mark Minnick, who's out of Greenville, South Carolina. He does a great job of explaining this and he goes into actually more detail. I'm sure you're biting at the bit to read this, so... That's, that's the book to go to. There's lots more things about inspiration and other things in there, but hopefully I didn't um, quell your desire to, to follow and believe and to understand God's Word, but I ho- hopefully uh, increased it and just be able to see God's providential work over the years, how He's preserved His Word for us and, and allowed many different scholars to be able to translate it so that we can have it in our language.